This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. This segment is brought to you by the Zuckerberg Institute. This is Randy Zuckerberg Means Business on Business Radio. Hi, everyone. Randy Zuckerberg here, host of Randy Zuckerberg Means Business on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio. So thrilled to have you all here this week listening. Now, uh, I'm sure in many households like yours, like mine, uh, my kids just returned to online school a few weeks ago. And uh, I have to say there there was a part of me that was pretty bummed by it. But uh, there's also been a part of me that has been so excited about some of the innovation that has come about and, and and has risen to the challenge during this trying time in the education space. And so in today's show, we're going to be speaking with four experts all about the future of education, children and media, uh, how to think about children's development in this digital age, and and what does digital wellness mean in the context of education? So I'm thrilled for today's show, and uh, I'm starting off with a great guest, Dr. Michael Rich, founding director of the Center on Media and Child Health at Boston Children's Hospital. He's best known as the Mediatrician, which I love. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> and now talk to me. What have the last few months been like for you? How, how has your life most changed? Uh, well, interestingly, uh, because I deal a lot with kids who are having issues with interactive media, um, since the middle of March, I have been seeing all my patients by telehealth um, and um, have been uh, sitting in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire um, and seeing patients all over the country. Hmm. Well, I, that, you know what? That is not terrible to be sitting in, in a beautiful place. I'm um, not complaining. <laughs> I, listen, many parents, including myself, uh, feel so overwhelmed right now with the fact that our children will be spending another year virtually learning. I'm curious, what are some of your best pro tips to make this uh, a great experience for families or as good as it can be? Well, um, just to um, give people a resource that is much deeper than what I can do here, I, I do want to mention that we have a family digital wellness guide and a Family Digital Wellness Returning to School 2020 um, all up online at our website, um, which is at cmch.tv. But um, some quick hits. Um, obviously, it depends a lot on the age of the child, um, you know, that a kindergartner is going to learn differently than a senior in high school and every permutation in between. But I think a couple of things. One is to work with the school so that they are on a regular schedule. Um, a regular schedule makes it not only possible to do the best possible education, but it also decreases anxiety. Uh, one of the big problems we saw in the springtime is the unpredictability uh, created a lot of anxiety in the kids. Um, I think that we have to design Zoom lessons, if you will, around their attention span. So the, the length of time of a lesson for a kindergartner should be significantly shorter than a middle schooler or a high schooler. That we need to have breaks built in where they can physically get up and move around, uh, hopefully go outside and get their yayas out a little bit, shooting hoops or riding a bike, <laughs> and then coming back to it fresh. Um, kids suffer from Zoom burnout just as much as we do. Um, 
I think that there's some sort of tactics that can be done within the class situation um, that are very useful. Number one is I recommend that all of the kids um, turn off their self-view so they're not tempted to mug for their friends, um, mm. and, and that um, they all use virtual backgrounds so we don't have kids who are more vulnerable to being teased about their socioeconomic status or whatever. And, you know, you can have a background for the class, which also has them focus on, you know, whatever it is, Mrs. Halloran's third grade math class or whatever. Um, and, and they will have the same background. So it's almost the equivalent of what wearing a uniform used to be like in, in school in the old days. Um, and so things like that, which really think about how um, it's delivered, uh, particularly the teacher. It's hard for the teacher to know when the kids are with them. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think there needs to be more of a dialogue, more of a back and forth than they might be used to in the classroom where they can pick up the vibe and know when the kids are, are with them or not. Um, I think that um, the, for the teachers, it's also really important um, to call out specific kids, um, not to put them on the spot, but to keep them engaged. For the parents, I think it's important for the child to have a specific place where she or he does school. Um, and even if it's on the same device in which they are maybe, you know, communicating with their friends or gaming, they move to a different place for that. Um, oftentimes it's side by side with a parent who is working from home. But if they have a dedicated space, which is school space, as opposed to uh, play space, um, and they have only one screen up at that time, um, I think these are really critical, um, you know, really critical moves to make because, uh, you know, contrary to public belief, multitasking does not exist. The human brain is capable of one channel thinking only. And so if they have multiple screens open, they are split tasking or switch tasking um, so that they are, you know, actually moving back and forth between tasks, not doing both at the same time. Mm, these are such great tips for anyone who's just joining us. We're speaking with Dr. Michael Rich, known as the mediatrician. Um, and I, I want to call out the primers that uh, the Center on Media and Child Health uh, have, have created. So you can go to cmch.tv to find primers on child development in the digital age, uh, return to school 2020 with so much great information like what Michael just shared. Um, Michael, I'm curious, are, do you think there are any positives that will come out of this for children and families? Absolutely. Um, as I mentioned earlier, kids suffer from Zoom burnout, too. And I'm actually seeing that, you know, for kids for whom the online space was previously just a playground, they are realizing that, that this is a power tool, that this is a tool that allows them not just to learn, but to create to connect, to, uh, you know, transact a lot of their life in this space. Um, but it's also nice to turn it off and do something else. Um, and so I'm actually seeing for those kids who are kind of, um, you know, paying attention to this, that they're actually not playing games as much. They're not, quote, you know, just entertaining or diverting themselves online because 
they they want to be offline because online is where they do the work. Um, so I think that's a, a good thing. The other thing that I uh, think is happening in this space is that kids now have the time and space to do something they don't have the time or space to do in a normal school day. Um, they can learn something new. They, I mean, so I I have kids I work with who are learning a new language or are um, building something in the garage um, or, you know, one of, one of my sort of pet things is I want to bring back boredom. I yes. think that we've gotten into a terrible place where we cannot, we're so averse to being bored that we can't, you know, do anything without pulling our phones out. And so this tool, which gives us near infinite connectivity, is actually eroding our connectedness, not just with each other, but with the world, the natural world. Um, I was walking on the street in front of the hospital a few weeks ago, and there was a brilliant sunset, and no one on the street looked up to see it. <laughs> They were all staring at their phones. And, and I'm sitting there saying, Some, there's something wrong here. Um, and we, so, you know, I, I try to create situations, and I hope school does too, where the kids have the open space, not just the vacuum that allows creativity and imagination, but that little bit of discomfort that boredom is that forces you into places where you might not otherwise go. Absolutely. I love that. And yes, there's so much wrong with that image of no one looking up at a, at a beautiful sunset. I would think that five months of being stuck at home would, would make people excited, but but no. Um, Michael, I'm, wondering, I'm hearing a lot of buzzwords, things like pods, family creating education pods. I'm hearing a lot more about different kind of homeschool programs. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about some of the trends you're seeing and, and what you like or, or what you don't like. Oh, sure. Uh, well, um, yeah, the, the concept of the pod is creating a, a larger bubble, if you will, of people whom you trust to be, you know, uh, being careful in terms of exposure to any potential infection. Um, you know, I think it, it was really hard for families um, for a whole lot of reasons to be stuck just with their nuclear family, particularly with adolescents whose developmental task is to get away from the family, right, <laughs> and reach out to peers and be out with others. So what I'm seeing is that people are expanding from the nuclear family bubble to a group of either f friends or um, you know, neighbors or people with whom they can um, expand the pod, if you will. Um, what, what's happening in terms of schooling, interestingly, is some people are taking advantage of that to do what we're calling micro-schooling, which is instead of one parent to one child, um, which is not the economy of scale, um, having, you know, like four or five kids and four or five parents who rotate through and are the one who is supervising the child. Um, one of the things I'm hearing that worries me a little bit is that many parents are saying, I'm not qualified to teach my child math or science. I don't know how to teach. Um, and I think that that's something that we shouldn't be fearful of. What we can do is help our children learn to learn and learn to find the joy in learning, that we can find the resources either online or through their schools um, in terms of the actual didactic teaching. But what we can do is both teach and perhaps more importantly model 
organizational skills, staying on task, um, that business of sitting down at a specific place to get your work done and then getting up from it when we're not doing our work. Um, and, and so I think parents should, A, not feel intimidated, and B, not feel guilty that they're shortchanging their kids. Um, it, you know, they, they can't, you know, be, have the same relationship with their kids that a teacher does and shouldn't try to. Um, what they should try to do is be a parent who can structure the child's learning um, in ways that access expertise where they need to access it. I love that. And I feel like that is uh, just the message that I needed right now, too. Thank you. Um, Dr. Michael Rich, in our final moments together, I want to hear a little bit about what you're working on at the um, the Digital Wellness Lab. I love that there is a whole area that you're researching and, and studying children's development and the digital world. Oh, well, that's wonderful. The, um, you know, short answer is that for almost 20 years now, um, we have had the Center on Media and Child Health. It's based at Boston Children's Hospital and Harvard Medical School um, to really try to cut through the adversarial and polarized world between those who are concerned about kids and those who are making technology or making uh, entertainment um, for those kids. And unfortunately, because of the television experience, um, we got off on the wrong foot really back as early as the 1950s, where it was either are you for screens or against them, are you for kids or against them, and never the twain shall meet. Um, and, and we've been working very hard to bring an evidence base to bear on it the way we bring an evidence base to bear on how to nourish, how to do nutrition for your kids, how to do education for your kids, how you in, do in, injury prevention. So it's agnostic to the outcome. So we look at the positive and negative effects of the interface between digital screens and physical, mental, and social health. That being said, the work that we do in academia and in science remains siloed to a certain degree, and parents are still at sea and at loss. They don't know who to trust. The companies often are trying to create programs that you know, help their kids stay safe online and things like that. But parents are distrustful of those as you know, self-promotion, and, and they are hearing different things from different people, all of whom think that they have the, you know, the new better mousetrap. The idea of the Digital Wellness Lab is, wouldn't it be really interesting if, just like with the MIT Media Lab, we brought together pediatricians, put them next to software engineers, put them next to screenwriters, put them next to psychologists and educators, and get together in the big tent all of the stakeholders, roll up our sleeves and work the problem together instead of spending so much time and energy making claims and throwing arrows at each other um, and making and, and defending ourselves. Let's, let's just work the problem. It's great. I, I think that that's wonderful. I can't wait to hear more of, of what's uh, coming out of the Digital Wellness Lab. Uh, Michael, where can people find you and access the primers and all, all your great information? Uh, at our website, which is cmch.tv, which is Center on Media and Child Health.tv. Um, there also is online Ask the Mediatrician, which is askthemediatrician.org, um, where parents have asked me questions from at what age should I get my kid a smartphone to um, how do I get my 10-year-old son to quit singing Viva Viagra in the supermarket. And we get <laughs> 
everything in that's, between. That's one I want to go see. <laughs> Dr. Michael Rich, thank you so much for joining us today, founding director of the Center on Media and Children's Health at Boston Children's Hospital and the Mediatrician. Thank you so much for, for just this wealth of information, and I hope you uh, stay safe and sane out there. And have good luck this school year. Thank you so much. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. My own children called Out School, which offers live online classes for kids. I'm thrilled to welcome Amir Nathu, the co-founder and CEO of Out School. Amir, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be talking. Well, we are huge fans of OutSchool in our household. Uh, in fact, it was one of the very first sites that we turned to in, in March. But maybe you can, uh, for our listeners out there, you can talk a little bit about uh, what OutSchool is and, and how it works. Absolutely. And first off, you know, it's such a pleasure to um, an honor to be able to help your family and many others during this time. Um, so I'll, I'll give a quick summary of, of OutSchool. So we offer a marketplace of live online classes for kids. And so these are classes that take place in small groups over video chats. So typically, you know, three to 10 kids and a teacher. And they're interacting about subjects that um, the kids are excited to learn. So as well as core subjects in, you know, English and math and science, uh, we give teachers the flexibility in our marketplace to teach the classes that they've always wanted to teach. So they come up with topics like Harry Potter chemistry. We'll learn math through art. We'll learn architecture by playing, uh, by playing Minecraft and, and building buildings. We have learned Spanish by singing Taylor Swift songs in Spanish. So these classes are really creative and engaging for kids. And then you know, during this time when parents face such a challenge of, you know, how do I occupy my kids in a way that keeps them in touch with their learning? How can I do that in a way that's engaging so that my kid is actually interacting with others, even with all the restrictions that we currently have? So we've just seen, you know, incredible growth um, in the number of families using our service um, and have had more than 500,000 families uh, take classes with us at, at this point. Um, wow. So we're really grateful to be able to help during this time and especially especially your family. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be talking to you. We, uh, I can attest to the, the creativity and learning. I have uh, two sons who like never want to read and write, and then I signed them up for a Pokemon creative writing <laughs> class on OutSchool, and all of a sudden they were delighted to write because they got to write about, about Pokemon. But So you have some really incredible classes. Um, has anything surprised you, Amir, about what's been popular? Like, did you, did you have any hypotheses going into this pandemic about what people would want and, and what has surprised you? Yeah, you know, I'm surprised every day by the creativity of teachers and, and what proves to be popular. And I think, you know, kids' interests are so varied and um, they change with time and there's new trends constantly emerging. And so, you know, we had a teacher offer a class which was critical thinking skills through Dungeons and & Dragons. And it seemed pretty niche, but it very quickly rose up to the popularity list. At the same time, you know, we have core classes like, you know, the five paragraph essay, which you know, is very, very standard um, piece of curriculum that also do very well. So I think, you know, the main surprise is just the range of um, subjects uh, that prove to be popular um, in this model and the fact that it's not just concentrated on the typical core subjects. And I think that speaks to the fact that um, families want uh, the kids to be engaged in learning. 
and as well as learning the core subjects to um, you know actually develop a, a broader range of skills and, and perspectives. And um, I think the other thing we've also found surprising is the age ranges for which this format of learning works, um, as well as for older kids who uh, maybe already have uh, a, a great familiarity with technology. We have kids as young as three uh, taking these classes. Now, obviously, they need a lot of help from uh, their parents to engage and get started, but it's really surprising about how quickly they can get engaged and, and um, pick up the, the format of learning. And so, you know, we have, you know, kids from ages three to 18 from all over the U.S. and, and all over the world making um, connections and um, having positive learning experiences together, which I think is really exciting because this format of learning um, has the potential to link people and have people connect across uh, divides, across geographical divides, socioeconomic divides. And I think that's so important in, in trying to build empathy in, in today's world when we see so much you know, conflict and fragmentation. And, and I think when you are in a class um, able to talk live with other people and have a positive uh, experience around that, then that's building empathy for the long term. Absolutely. We're speaking with Amir Nathu, co-founder and CEO of OutSchool. They offer live online classes for kids. Amir, can you talk to us a little bit about how you find teachers? And, and when you do, do you coach them on best practices, on how much to charge for their classes? What, what kind of level of onboarding is there? Absolutely. You know, we find teachers through several mechanisms. A lot come uh, through referral. And we've also been lucky enough to have a, a lot of press around the fact we're trying to bring thousands of teachers on board and um, you know, earnings on, on average per class hour right now are $60 an hour, which is very, very attractive. Um, so we get a lot of referrals and a, a lot of teachers coming in through those channels. And we vet the teachers. So it's not a completely open marketplace. There's an application process um, and we do a background check. And we also um, check that the um, you know, teachers have some experience working with kids and have some um, uh, experience in the subject matter that they're going to teach. What we don't require is a formal teaching credential. So we have, you know, drama teachers and yoga teachers, people who might not typically teach in a normal school context, also offering classes on out school. And so, you know, we provide that vetting, but it's also really important that we stay open enough that um, people from a variety of different backgrounds can bring their skills into the marketplace. And that's what allows us to offer the variety of classes. And we have a um, you know, very engaged teacher community who uh, share best practices and, um, and we provide our own um, uh, training uh, because many of the teachers who are coming to us are brand new to teaching online. And um, you know, we've been offering these kind of classes since 2017. So we have a lot of expertise in our team and in our community on how to offer these classes. And in fact, you know, when we saw the prospect of you know, wide-scale um, uh, school closures come uh, upon us very suddenly in March, we span up a program to start offering training for free for teachers who, you know, are not even trying to teach through our marketplace, but are, you know, with a school and, and trying to bring their school classes online. Because we felt an obligation to share our expertise in this area. And um, we think we have more expertise with offering these kind of remote classes um, in a small group format than any other U.S.-based organization. So it's been really um, important for us and we felt an obligation uh, to share that expertise with others. 
Absolutely. And I, it, honestly, some of my children's favorite classes on OutSchool have been from kind of non-traditional teachers. There's one woman that they who reads stories. She's, I guess she's like a grandma now, but, and used to be a teacher and she is just so engaging and wonderful with the kids and doing story time. So it is wonderful to give the opportunity to people who maybe, you know, wouldn't be able to take a job as a full-time teacher to, to have that opportunity. Um, I'd love to hear about some of the work you're doing to give back in communities. I saw that you've, you have a financial assistance program. You, uh, launched a foundation recently. Talk to us about that. Yes, we launched OutSchool.org, which is a, a non-profit program um, to offer financial assistance to families in need to be able to um, take advantage of this kind of learning. Um, this is a, a real um, passion area of mine. Um, you know, one of the uh, challenges with any kind of program that involves out-of-pocket expenditure or increases um, school choice is that there are concerns about access. How are people from um, less privileged backgrounds financially or who don't have access to the right you know, equipment or fast internet connection, how are they um, going, to, going to keep up? And I think you know, one of the great uh, things about OutSchool is we have the potential to you know, lower barriers and um, lower divides by connecting people at a very low price point. But typically there is an out-of-pocket expenditure. And so we launched OutSchool.org in order to provide financial assistance for those um, affected by school closures um, uh, who might not otherwise you know, have access to, to our, our classes. And we made an initial um, $1 million commitment to that program. And um, we recently announced um, that we're going to add another $2 million, so a total of $3 million um, uh, that um, OutSchool, the company, has, has donated into that program. And we're very lucky to have um, other major donors have, have come in um, and, uh, and uh, matched those, those, those funds. And, and we're continuously looking for more. In... Um, the current environment of going back to school that, that is still very disrupted. We're also expanding the type of program that OutSchool.org offers. So as well as offering financial assistance to families um, to take OutSchool classes, we're now also making grants to community programs and schools who are looking to set up public learning pods. There's been this big trend of you know, learning pods that are being formed by families privately, kind of like homeschool co-ops or microschools. And the problem, again, with that is, is access. Um, but families are driven to it because of the unique demands that the current environment places. And so with OutSchool.org, we're trying to um, help create the, the public and freely available version of those pods for families in need. And you know, from OutSchool's perspective, we believe that um, you know, by programs like OutSchool.org existing and um, enabling access, then we can make faster progress to change in education and towards um, personalization and choice, but without compromising on access. Um, wow. That's a little bit about that program. And, and you know, families can, can learn more at outschool.org. Um, and we are you know, taking applications for uh, the grants. Um, so if you have a community center um, or are looking to set up a, a freely available learning pod as a school or as a community group, then, um, then please check out outschool.org. Excellent. Um, Amir, in our final moments, I'm curious just what are your what are some of your favorite classes that are on OutSchool that, that people should should uh, take a look at if they're new to the platform? And where can people reach you to uh, you just mentioned the foundation, but where can people go to, to sign up? 
Absolutely. So you can go to outschool.com and it's free to sign up and you can browse the full list of classes. You know, asking me how to pick a favorite class. I, <laughs> I know that's cruel. It's like, cruel. Is asking me like who what my favorite child is like. It's wonderfully creative. You mentioned some already, like the Pokemon biology class, I think is absolutely fabulous. Um, I mentioned some too, like um, the critical thinking skills through Dungeons and Dragons. Um, a couple of other ones I'll call out. We have various different kinds. I think there's multiple pet show and tells, which I just think are wonderful kind of storytelling opportunities for kids around their pets and um, are, are super cute. And um, uh, we also have a fortnight discussion group where the kids keep asking for homework because they really want the teacher to say, give them assignments so that they can tell their parents, hey, I need to do my assignments in Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But the, but the teacher is very good. She, you know, she doesn't set assignments. But you know, what's great about that class is it allows kids to have community and to be social and to learn soft skills and presentation skills and use their love of the, um, the game um, and environment of Fortnite um, to, to power that learning. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what's great about the variety of, of our school. So, so that's why I call it out. Um, but there's so many, you know, there's over 50,000 classes and everyone is into different things. So, you know, I'd encourage people to check it out at outschool.com and, and find what resonates for, for you and your family. I love it. Well, I can attest as a happy customer long before I even knew that Amir was coming on this show. Um, outschool.com is a, is a great resource. Amir Nethu, thank you so much for, uh, you know, bringing, bringing this to families all over. Congrats on the kind of 2000% growth in your company and, um, a, a lot of, a lot of happy enriched families because of you. So thanks so much and, and stay safe out there. Thank you, and you too. It's been a pleasure to talk. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.